We're in a series called Transformed, and we're in the book of Acts. And we've been walking through the book of Acts. Many of you guys have been following along. We made it to Acts chapter 20. And I want to start off, though, by telling you a story that is not in the book of Acts, but you've probably heard it before. And it's a story about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus keeps pulling away and trying to get away from the crowds to get reset and refreshed, but the crowds keep following him. And one particular day, he sees the crowds coming, and we know there's at least 5,000 men plus the families are coming. And Jesus asks a question of one of his disciples. He says, where are we going to buy enough food for all these people? Because it's like, it's time to eat, and all these people are here. And one of them says, well, I mean, 200 denarii isn't even enough to feed all these people. And I don't know how much money that is. I didn't look it up, but it's probably a lot, right? It's like, it's not even enough to feed all these people. And then... Something curious happens. One of the disciples, I believe it was Andrew, looks over to Jesus and he says, well, there is this boy who has like five loaves of fish or five loaves of bread and a couple fish. You got to think about why would Andrew say that? Like, why would he say that? So there's something curious there to me that Andrew at least had enough to know, hey, there's something to work with here, right? And so this boy happens to be in the right place at the right time with his lunch, and he's willing to give it to Jesus. Of course, many of you guys know the story that he gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it, and gives it to the disciples, and they hand it out. And then as they, everybody is fed, they, everyone has their full, and they collect up all the remains, and there's like 12 baskets full left over. So how does it go from that to 12 you know, left over after everyone's eaten. I always look at it like this, just the way my brain works. I look at it like, I got one of these over here. This little boy just had, he just had a happy meal. Like, that's what he had. He's just like, and I had to go buy this, by the way. I thought about just going and asking for the box, and I thought that'd be weird. But uh, I actually ate it. But there is, so this boy shows up, and he's just got like a happy meal. That's all he's got, Right? But this boy understood something. He understood that, and we're going to look look at this today, but he understood that what I have, it really belongs to Jesus. And that if I'm willing to give it, whatever I put in Jesus' hands can multiply. And, And I love that. I call it happy meal faith, right? Because he didn't have a lot. But I can tell you this, what's interesting about this boy is he was the only one that God entrusted to have any food there to work with. Because I don't know how it works all in God's plan, but God, I believe God strategically positioned and nudged this boy to be there with his lunch, right? Because I believe that God knew he could entrust this boy with what he had. And maybe he couldn't entrust anyone else there, you know? But he could entrust him with this Happy Meal Faith, right? And so, how many of you guys would like God to put something in your hands that he could use, right? Like to entrust you with something? Is there anybody here that would like God to entrust you with more than what he has? Like maybe like more than a Happy Meal, right? I do. Like I believe that God wants to entrust us with more responsibility in the kingdom, more calling in the kingdom, more potential, more whatever it is. I believe God wants to entrust us with that. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But let's go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 16. Because Paul, he's been working in the church of Ephesus, but he's moved on from there. But he happens to be making his way back through. And it says, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. By the way, if you missed last week, 
Go back and listen to it, man. It was like one of, it, it felt like a post-sabbatical message for me, but it was pre-sabbatical. It was just like God, the Spirit of God was all on it. And so he sails past Ephesus so that he might uh, not have to spend time in Asia. Why would he do this? I think it's, he knew so many people in Ephesus that he's like, if I stop in Ephesus, everybody's going to have me over for dinner. Everybody's going to want to go and meet with me again. And I don't have time for that. And have you guys ever been busy before and you don't have time for something? You're walking into Walmart and you see somebody that you know and you know they're just going to talk to you forever. And so you put your, your phone up. There's no call, but you're pretending to talk on the phone. And then the phone rings while you're doing that or something like that. You guys have never done that. But he's sailing past Ephesus, not because he doesn't like Ephesus, but because he knows he's going to get caught up in Ephesus if he stays, because he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Does anybody know what today is? It's the day of Pentecost. I love how a lot of times when we will start a series like this, and I'll just walk through the scriptures like this. I don't, I don't do this like some pastors do where they'll map out every single message they have for the next two years or whatever. I don't map out three months. I don't do it. I, I might know a few weeks and kind of have a sense as to where things are going. But for the most part, I just open up the scriptures and I, I read ahead, pray ahead and kind of get a flavor for everything that's going on. But I just want God to breathe in the moment of what's happening week in and week out. And so I love how when I do that, it seems like God sets things up like this that I just couldn't have planned. And so here we are in Acts 20 as I open it up at the first of the week and I'm like, Pentecost, what's happening this weekend? Pentecost, isn't that beautiful? And so he, he wants to go there, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to the Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he doesn't want to stop in Ephesus, but he wants to gather all the leaders of the church. I mean, he's poured his heart out here. And he wants all of them to come. He's got something to say. And so he calls them all together. Skip down to verse 25. And now behold, he, this is Paul talking. He says, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul is convinced at this time that he has a date with death, that he's going to become a martyr. And he's convinced at this time he needs to be in Jerusalem. And it's kind of weird for him to kind of know that, but he knows that. And he's very sorrowful, but he wants to do something before he goes. Because this church in Ephesus he loves so much, he wants to gather the leaders and he wants to impart his trust to them. He wants to leave them this church that he's labored over so long. He says, therefore, I test to you, testify to you that this day I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's never going to see them again. They try to talk him out of it, but he's like, no, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I have to go. And in the meantime, he's going to entrust the leadership of this church that he's planted into their hands. Now, again, I love the, the symmetry of how we find ourselves because I'm getting ready to go on sabbatical. And so I'm getting ready to entrust the leadership of the church to Pastor Aaron, to our elders, to our ministry leaders. But I will see your face again. It's just a few weeks, okay? So it's, that's, where the, that's where it ends, right? You know, so you don't have to be so sorrowful. And although last night I was preaching and I was like, I was sorrowful. I was like, oh man, I won't see you guys for six. It's only six weeks, but you know, there was something about it that was pulling on my heart. And so, but Paul is, he's never going to see them again. And so he, he's, he entrusts the leadership to them. Here's what I, here's what I'm convinced of that God wants to entrust more to you. 
God wants to entrust bigger things to you. God wants to entrust leadership of whatever that is for you. That could be of your family, could be even of your marriage, could be of a business, could be of your calling, your ministry, whatever it is. God wants to entrust more to you. He wants to entrust overseer-type things. Does anybody want more of that? Because if you're in the kingdom of God, you should want God to entrust more into your hands because that means that you can be more fruitful for the kingdom of God. The problem is when we have that desire and, and that desire is a right desire, and it's a strong desire, we tend to get hasty with that desire. Because we see where maybe God plants a dream in our heart or plants something in our heart that we can see, and we know how far it is to get there. Have you ever been trying to run somewhere and like, okay, let me just speak to anybody who who's like has a running goal or something like that. When I ran a half marathon, I knew like, that was a long way to go, right? And so when I, when I had that in my mind of how far that was, when you're first starting to train, it's like, this is like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to do this, right? And you know how far it is to run there, and you know how long it's gonna take to get there, that we tend to get hasty, right? Because we know how long it's gonna take us to get there. But what if God is entrusting you something with something in your hand and he has a destination for you to go, and let's say it's a 1,000 miles away on the map, and, and you think you have to run there. And so you're getting frustrated. You're getting hasty. You're trying to figure out different options. But what if you had a bicycle? How many of you guys know that would make it a little faster, wouldn't it, right? And so we think, okay, well, maybe I have a bicycle to get there, or, or maybe even a, an automobile, a car. I could, I could drive there pretty fast. But here's what I want you to, to get a picture of. I heard this a long time ago. This kind of helped set me free a little bit. Because what's actually probably happening with all of us is that God has some place for us to go, and it may seem like 10,000 miles away. And we know how long it would take us to run there, and, and we're not gonna make it. And maybe we could bike there, but it's gonna take a, a lifetime. You know, or, but what's actually happening is you're sitting in a jet. You have left the gate. You're taxiing around the runway. But how many of you guys know it's frustrating taxiing around? Have you ever been stuck in a plane, like getting that air out of that little tube, right? I mean, and you're sitting next to somebody and it's uncomfortable, right? But you're taxiing around. I'm just saying that many of you, God has places for us to go and, and you think you have to run there, but you're actually taxiing around the runway. And, very, and, and in a moment, those jet engines are going to fire. And when those jet engines fire, you're gonna take off faster than you could have ever dreamed. That's why we say that, you know, God, how do you guys know that God rarely seems to, to act, you know, uh, he seems to act quickly, rarely. <laughs> but when he does act, he acts suddenly. That's because the jet engine, the fuel is dropping into the engine and it's getting ready to accelerate. But so many of us get frustrated and we get hasty and we try to make our own way. But if it, here's what I want you to understand. If you want God to entrust you with more, if you are frustrated right now with the fruit that you're seeing in your life, if you're frustrated right now that it seems like God is not entrusting more into your hand and more into your life, I want you to know some things. And the first thing is this. If God is going to entrust you with something, you have to understand this in the kingdom. You own nothing. Whatever God does entrust you with, you, it is not yours. It is not yours. Acts 20, 28, Paul goes on and he tells these leaders, he says, 
pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now he's talking about them taking care of the church, but you can insert in whatever God is, is placed in your hand or, or you want him to. He says, pay careful attention to what, what I'm giving you. And he says, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's like, I'm gonna entrust something into your hand. Pay very close attention to yourself to care for the church of God. Now this is for whatever it is for you. Then he says, which he obtained with his own blood. He's saying, I'm entrusting it to you, but how many of you guys know Jesus bought it? Whatever God is trusting you with, he owns it. We don't own it. He owns it. Just because he places it in your hand or in your life does not, do not assume that that's yours. See, the problem is God couldn't entrust I don't know if God could have entrusted the lunch into anyone else's hands except for someone who had childlike faith. Someone who knew that I can trust, I'll just give this to Jesus. I don't know if he could entrust that to anyone else except for a childlike faith type person. Because when you entrust something to someone, what you are doing is you are giving it into their care and you're hoping that they would you're expecting them to take care of it in a similar manner that you would, right? Let me say that again. If I entrust something into your care that's mine, I'm hoping and expecting that you're going to take care of it in a similar manner that I would. So when my kids were younger, my, my son, he, you know, he's like one or two years old, I used to just like, if you, some of you guys know me back then, I would like just throw them way up in the air. And I'd catch him, like, I'd catch him, but I'd throw him way up, he loved it, man, he, he had a blast with it. But some people are like, you know, like this, and I, and I never dropped him, it's okay, he's fine, uh, he's still alive. But I, I did that, and, and I'm not saying it was responsible, I just did it, right, and it was fun. But now, we have this privilege to watch my grandson, so he came over on, on Wednesday evening. I'm not throwing him to space, I'm not doing that, why? Because I have to figure out how the owner of that child would expect me to take care of him while he's in my care. And I don't treat that child like I would treat it, like if it were mine, I treat it like the owner wishes for me to treat, right? And I know that's a limited example, but have you guys understand what I'm saying? When God trusts something into your care, it's not so you can do whatever you want to with it, it's so that you can care for it as he wants it cared for. And so, so many of us, man, we want God to deposit things in our life. We want more calling. We want more relationships. We want a relationship. We want a better whatever. And God is saying, I want to give this to you, but you have to know something. You have to know that when I give this to you, it's not yours. I'm entrusting you with it so that you would steward this in the manner that I would have it done because you own nothing. Now, I don't know of any better way to go out on a sabbatical than having a couple Robert Morris clips in my message because I love to have Robert Morris help me preach. And so uh, he, he, puts, he shares a story that I think is just a great, another great illustration of this. So let's watch. When my uh, da daughter Elaine went to college, um, she's right down here, uh, she went to ORU and um, when Josh and James went to school, Josh went to school in Florida, James went to Baylor, um, I, I, set up, I, I linked their accounts with my account and just would just wire money, you know, every month. And um, when Elaine went, I, I, ju I just gave her a credit card and just said, put things on the credit card. 
I remember getting that first bill. <laughs> and realizing that, um, uh, you know, a five, six, 110 pound woman could not eat that much. And, and so I, um, I called and I said, are, are you buying meals um, or gas or, because there were gas station, you know, bills that wouldn't, her Toyota Corolla couldn't hold that much gas. And I said, are you buying meals and gas for your friends? This is what she said to me. She said, dad, you taught me to be a giver. I said, sugar, that's not giving, that's called stealing. (laughs) Because you're not the owner. You're giving my money away, that's my money. (laughs) Is the money in your account, yours. <laughs> so let's talk about a few things, all right? Here's number one. It all belongs to God. Not just a tithe. It all belongs to God. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's. Please notice those words. <laughs> He owns it, is the Lord's, and in case you have any doubt, everything in it, everything in it. The world and all its people, now watch ownership, belong to him, belong to him. Psalm 50, verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine. I own them. I own all of them. And the cattle on a thousand hills. Of course, the cattle and the hills. I know all the birds of the mountains. And the wild beasts of the field are mine. They're mine. They belong to me. They're my property. I love this statement. This is one of my favorite statements of the whole Bible. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> because you don't own any other animals, I do. For the world is mine and all its fullness. This is a revelation you have to get. You have to get that you can work for it, you can earn it, your name can be on the deed, but if you're a believer, then you really understand it's God's. So true. You own nothing. But he continues and he goes on and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone, of, everyone with tears. What is he saying? Jesus bought it. Jesus owns it. But Jesus bought it, but you still have to protect it. See, when God places something in your hands, it's not yours, but you have to protect it 
as if it was. You, it, what is he saying? It, it's not someone else's job to protect and somebody else's responsibility to protect what God has placed in your hand. It's your job to feed the call of God on your life. It's not someone else's job to pour into your life and to feed the call of God. It's not someone else's job to, to uh, protect what God has placed in your hand. God placed it in your hands because he entrusted you with it. It's your responsibility. You, and so he says, pay attention to yourself because there will be a temptation in you to just receive what God places in your hands and then just let things, just let things go. But he says, no, be careful. Pay attention. In another place, I don't have this scripture on the screen, but it says, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What does that mean? It means that the wrong thing generally comes disguised as the right thing. See, when God entrusts something into your hand, the wrong thing will come disguised as the right thing. And it usually comes this way. It usually comes disguised as the solution to your problem. It usually comes uh, disguised as a confirmation of your pre-existing feelings or to prop up what you've already been thinking or your own assumptions. And so Satan's been around for a while. He, he knows what's going to work. And when God entrusts something into your hand, it's your job to protect it. But what he's going to do is he's going to come like a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's going to come disguised as a solution to your problem or a confirmation of your feelings to try to get in the door. Let me just, here's a side note. Can I just tell you, I've been pastoring for a long time now. And many people come over the years, have come over the years for Spiritual counsel. They'll come and we'll have coffee and we'll talk about their issue or talk about what God's speaking to them and try to bring discernment to whatever it is. Can I just tell you that over the years, most of the people, and I know this sounds like an exaggeration, but it's really not. Most of the people who come to me for spiritual counsel do not come to me for spiritual counsel. They say they're coming to me for spiritual counsel, but most people who come to me for spiritual counsel actually want spiritual confirmation. They want someone spiritual to put confirmation on what they were already thinking. And isn't it interesting that, I, I find this interesting, that whenever they disagree, whenever I do not confirm their, pre, their, their assumptions that they came in with, they say the pastor must have missed it. Now, I, I can miss it, okay? I'm not saying I can't miss it, but isn't it interesting how when the pastor doesn't agree with you, he's missed it, but when he's right, when he, when he agrees with you, he's right on, Right? Some people treat God this way, by the way. What I'm saying is, when God places something in your hand, he wants you to protect it, not to protect it with your preferences, but to protect it with his preferences. And beware, pay attention to yourself. So if you want God to entrust you with more, you've got to be willing to surrender this idea that it's somehow mine and I get to treat it like I want to. All right, so he goes on, though, in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Can everybody just say grace? I love that word. such a beautiful word. Named one of my daughter's middle names after that. It's, I just love the, the beauty of grace. And he says this word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So grace is like this free gift of God. 
So if God wants to entrust something with you, you have to understand that you own nothing. But the second thing you have to understand is this. God owes you nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. Grace is this free gift, right? Grace is this wonderful gift from God. You cannot, no one owes you a gift, whether you believe that or not, right? <laughs> You're not entitled to gift. A gift is given freely. Someone does not have to give it to you. God does not owe you grace. Grace is this beautiful gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't barter for it. You can't borrow for it. It's simply given to you. God doesn't owe you grace. He doesn't owe you grace. But he also gives us a hint of something more that grace does. Right? So grace isn't just forgiveness for sins. Grace is also an empowerment for living the Christian life. It is empowerment for you to be free from sin. That's why he says that grace is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. So grace allows you to receive something from God, but is also working to build you up. So you might write this down. Jesus builds it, but we still have to receive it. See, when God places something in your hand, he's building something. But you still have to receive what he's doing in your life as he's placed it in your hand. You know, I, I, we, placed, we planted our garden a little bit late this year, and I used this illustration Last summer, when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, but we can go all to this work, we can till the garden, we can, you know, plant the seed, we can, uh, you know, prune the, the plants and, you know, put the trellises up for tomatoes and all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, when we get a tomato and we have that wonderful experience of a fresh garden tomato, come on, somebody say amen to that. Yeah. Can I say I grew that tomato? No, I can't say that. Because there were factors outside of my control, like, you know, the sun being, you know, like, that, that sunlight travels at the speed of light. It takes, like, eight seconds to get here, right? I can't control that. Like, the speed of light and the, the sunlight coming to hit. I, I can't control that. I can't control a lot of the factors. But what did I do? I cooperated with what was happening, right? So when God works in your life, when grace comes into your life, this empowerment to be free from sin, this empowerment to live the Christian life, it's building you up. But we still have to cooperate with what God is doing. We still have to have the capacity to receive what God is building in our life. So God wants to give you more and entrust you with more, but you have to have the capacity to see it. This idea of what Jesus talked about, that if you have new wine, you don't put it in an old wineskin. A lot of us aren't familiar with that because we, we aren't like in those times, but but if you were to put new wine in an old wine skin, it would burst the wine skin. Why? Because the new wine is more living and active and it would, it would just expand and grow. But, but what happens is if you put new wine in a new wine skin, the new wine skin has the ability to expand. It has more capacity. So we have to become people of more capacity who are willing to receive what God wants to build on the inside of our life. But a lot of times what happens is we end up just, you know, some of us have been following Jesus for 30 years. We don't have 30 years of following Jesus. We have one year repeated 30 times. So uh, several years ago, my son was like two years old. Sean was two, and I think he was two. And we went on this vacation. We went out to Colorado. We had a great time. It was like this wonderful day. I remember this day. We went hiking. I had one of those backpacks that you put the kid in, right? And so I'm hiking up there. I've got some pictures of, you know, he's out there hiking with me. And then uh, we came back uh, to, to the, uh, the lake there and we rented a boat. 
I had him sit. I've got this picture of him like sitting on my lap with his goofy looking hat on. And he's helping me drive the boat out on Lake Estes. We're having a beautiful time there. We get back to the hotel and there's a pool at the hotel. And so I, he's not big enough to swim. So I put him on my back and start swimming around, have a good time, go to the restaurant. At that time, I think all he'd eat is like chicken nuggets. They didn't have chicken nuggets. So we got, you know, the closest thing to it, which was like pizza and gummy bears, like somehow he downed that. And so Got to get that into him, but we better get back home to the hotel because if we don't get him to bed early, what's going to happen? He's going to keep us up all night long, right? But it was a wonderful day. I, I like that day just etches in my memory. It was a beautiful day. But what if we tried to recreate that day now when he's 25? <laughs> Let's go hiking, son. Get up on my back, right? And so he goes, and I'm carrying him up the hill. Like, how ridiculous. Like, let's go rent a boat. Come on, let's sit on my lap. Let's drive this boat. Put that hat on, man. Put the hat on. Let's go. And we go back to the pool, and I'm like, I, I don't know if he can swim or not, so let's go. I'll just, I'll just paddle you around the pool. Probably can't eat anything besides chicken nuggets. Sorry, son, they don't have chicken nuggets. You're getting pizza and gummy bears. But we better get him home early, or he's going to keep us up all night long, right? How ridiculous. But that's where, where some of us are spiritually. It's like we've been following Jesus for a long time, but we've been on a plateau following Jesus for a long time. But we want more from God. We want God to entrust us with more oversight. But we have not become people who are, have the ability to receive the capacity of what God wants to give us. And one of the biggest hindrances to receiving anything from God is when you start demanding something from God. See, God does not owe you anything. And some of us cannot receive anything from God because we're too busy demanding things from God. We're too busy lining out exactly how we think things gotta go. And by the way, I was talking with somebody last night and they brought up this point. Listen, the... If you've ever been disappointed with God, some of us have been disappointed with God, if you've ever been disappointed with God, it goes back to a root that somewhere along the way you thought God owed you something. And we've been living with this mentality that God owes me. Somebody just got free right there. Because once you know the truth, it sets you free. Your disappointment can leave because God doesn't owe you anything. So how do you know if you are demanding things instead of receiving things from God? Well, one of the ways you know is when you start forcing outcomes instead of just simple daily obedience. See, because if God owes me and I know where I need to go and I know what God's plans are for me, what I try to do is I try to force the outcome to happen instead of just what is right in front of me. It doesn't matter who's moving faster than me. It doesn't matter where I think I need to be. You know what? It's the same no matter what. That no matter any of that, no, no matter where any of that is, the only thing that matters is what you do today. And am I, am I obeying God today? And then when I get into tomorrow, am I hearing his voice and obeying? Do you know the fastest way to get to where you need to go is by just simple daily obedience? That's, you don't get to have a shortcut. <laughs> you just, you get there through a daily obedience, but when you try to force an outcome, that's how you know that you believe God owes you something and you're trying, I mean, Abraham did that. Sarah did that. That's how, that's how you know. Another way you know that is I've found myself saying this to a lot of people lately. You, you know that when, when you think God owes you something, when you find yourself 
instead of running to something, you're actually running from something. Sometimes I've, I, I've seen people who, they say, well, God's giving me this thing, and so I'm going after that, but I'm actually just running from this. So I've, I've seen people run from a bad job instead of to God's purposes. I've seen people run not to a, to a relationship that God has designed for them, but running from singleness. I've seen people, instead of running to God's abundant life, they're actually running from lack. Right? Can you, can you locate yourself? We've all done it. This is, this is not pointing any fingers. Every single one of us have done this, right? But this is where Paul says, pay attention to yourself. Instead of running to God's purposes for our life, what we, we sometimes do is we run from boredom, boredom. And he says, protect it. God's building it, but you have to have the capacity to receive it. I've shared this story a million times. I didn't share it last night, but I'll share it with you today. But years ago when I was, we, we, I remember exactly where I was at, and I was kind of having one of those moments where I was like, okay, God, this just isn't working. You call me to pastor this church, but nobody's coming to it, so how's that work, you know? <laughs> and, you know, there's just a handful of people, and, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I've tried. I did what you asked me to do, but, you know, here we are, and I'm just going to do something else, Right? And I'll never forget that moment when God asked me that question. He said, if you knew without a doubt that it was my will for you to pastor this little group of people for the rest of your life, and that's all it was. And even then, in that, that, that group of people just recycled over and over again. But you knew that it was my will for you to do that for the rest of your life. Would you do it? course I knew the answer but I wasn't going to say the answer right off because I, 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 I wanted to make sure that I was saying it right like from the deep place right and so I sat there and I'm like yeah I know the answer to that I really down at a deep core level I would be miserable living a life outside of God's will or God's best or God's whatever I would be I would be miserable if I found out that I chose an option that was more fun for me, but didn't bring in more glory. And so I, I made that, I was like, I, I just settled it at a deep level. God, if this is your will, I only want your will. And you don't owe me anything. And if you want me to just be faithful in obscurity and where it seems like there's no fruit for the rest of my life, but I know that's your place for me, then count me in. I'm there. That's, of course, you know what, what happens at that point. God tends to open up doors. I'm not saying that's a prescription. I'm just saying that tends to be what happens because we went, I went from demanding something from God to receiving something from God, Right? So if the first two are true, if God, if you own nothing, and if God doesn't owe you anything, then this last one is also true. And that means this, that you can now sow everything. Whatever God places in your hand, where's my Happy Meal at? I, I, I took it back. Whatever God places in your hand, I'll go off 
into the darkness here. See, that boy had a secret that we didn't know. Yet, a lot of us don't know this. He somehow understood, this isn't mine, this belongs to Jesus. And God doesn't even owe me anything back. I just get to watch a miracle. He knew that somehow through childlike faith. Like, that's, that's the conclusion. It doesn't say that in the scriptures. I'm just saying that at a deep level, he had to. And if that's true, if I don't own this and God doesn't owe it to me back, then I'll just give it to him. That means whatever he places in my hand, I can give it back to God, right? I can sow everything. And I, Okay, so one more Robert Morris clip. This, I share this clip because it, it, and you guys, I've shared this probably four or five times. So many of you guys are familiar with this, but I'm telling you, every time I watch this clip, it just challenges me. It kind of scares me a little bit. And I think it probably does you as well because it reveals things in me. So he shares his story. One more clip, let's watch. I was having my quiet time and the Lord just spoke to me one day. I was reading in Philippians about Jesus gave up everything. And the Lord said to me, would you give me everything? And when he said it, I knew what he meant. He meant everything in my personal checking account, everything in our, Debbie mine, everything in our personal savings, everything in our ministry account, and everything in our ministry savings, which would be like a business account. That was where, where our income came from. Everything in our retirement. At that time, we had two cars, both cars, and our house. And the way we, we did that, by the way, because we gave it to a pastor that had five children, and the church said the best way for you to do it would be to, for the church to buy the house as a parsonage, and then you give the proceeds back to the church. And so that was what we did. And there's the man who did that, who oversaw that transaction, is also a member of our church now, and can verify that we gave that to the church. So, and that was not Gateway, that was the church I was a member of a long time ago. So, anyway, we gave everything away. So the next morning, I'm thinking about it, and I'm, because I'm a math person, I'm adding it up in my mind. All these accounts, you know, the, the cars, the house, I'm adding it up, and the Lord said to me, what are you doing? I said, nothing. <laughs> he said, no, what, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't wanna tell you what I'm doing. And you know, if you're thinking something, but you don't tell him what you're thinking, he doesn't know. He knows, just so you know, he knows. So I said, well, Lord, I said, I, I, I'm not having a real spiritual thought right now, so I don't want to tell you. He said, tell me what you're thinking. I said, well, you know that old saying, you can't outgive God? He said, yeah, I've heard that. I said, um, well, I, I said, I don't mean this wrong, but I think I did. <laughs> I mean, when you add up everything that I gave, I said, this time, I think I've got you. I have no reason why I said that word. I said, I, I think I've got you like that. And the Lord said to me, you think you've got me? And when he said that, the phone rang. And I picked up the phone. By the way, the man on the other end of the phone is a member of our church now and has verified this story also. I picked up the phone and I said, hello? And this guy said, Robert, God told me to help you with your transportation. And I thought, he's gonna buy us a car. But even if he buys us a car, um, we just gave away both cars. By the way, at that time, we'd given away nine cars. We've given away a lot more cars since then. And by the way, 
Uh, let me just uh, brag on the Lord through you. Last year, you, Gateway Church, gave over 100 cars to people. So it, it's contagious, the spirit of giving. And so anyway, I, I was like, well, even if you buy a car, Lord, I've still got you because gave away all our retirement and house and I, so I still got you. But thank you for the car, you know. And uh, so I said, well, what'd the Lord tell you to do? That's what the guy said. He told me to buy you an airplane. And he said, I'm gonna pay for the maintenance and the hangar and the insurance and the fuel and I've hired a pilot and I'm gonna pay his salary. Here's his name and number and you just call him and tell him where you wanna go and when you wanna go. And the Lord said to me, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Now, now, now listen to me. This is not a message, give and you get an airplane, okay? <laughs> By the way, to, I wanna clarify, he gave the use of the airplane to us and we gave the use of it back to him about a year later and I, we don't have an airplane today. I don't own an airplane, the church doesn't own an airplane. So it's, this is not about an airplane because that is not the best part of the testimony. Here's the best part of the testimony. A while after that I was reading and I was reading the most famous story about Solomon and you know this story. What's the most famous story about Solomon? The most famous story about Solomon is that God said to Solomon, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Can you imagine that? So I'm reading that and I thought it said at night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, ask anything you want. So I thought, and the Lord leads us when we're reading the Bible, I thought, I wonder what happened that day. What happened that day was he was inaugurated the king of Israel and it was tradition for the king to sacrifice one bull when he was inaugurated. Do you know how many Solomon sacrificed? 1,000 bulls, 1,000. That's pretty extravagant. And I remember the Lord said to me that day, I only say to extravagant givers, ask anything you want. He said, I would never say that to a selfish person because I couldn't trust them, but I can trust givers. Because they understand I don't own anything, God doesn't owe me anything, so I can sow everything, right? Now, when you hear a message or a word like that, probably what happens to you is the same thing that happened to me. Because you start to wonder, where's my giving line? Where's my line? Where you start to go through this list of, okay, I'd be willing to give up that much or that amount or that thing or that whatever. But inevitably, if you're like me, you're probably going to hit a ceiling somewhere where you're like, that's my limit, right? If you're really honest, that's probably what's going to happen. So all that does is reveal to us something. Oh, I think I own it. Oh, I think I've been thinking this is mine this whole time. Acts 20, verse 33. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What he's saying here, what Jesus is saying is the greatest blessings you will ever experience are not something you receive, 
but when you're in the act of giving. And this is not a message on money or anything like that, by the way. This is just like, this applies to every area of our life. Like when we are freely giving of our time towards the kingdom, of our life, of our love, of our forgiveness, of our resources, of whatever it is, the greatest blessing you will ever you will ever experience is not when you're receiving something, but when you are opening up your hand and watching it go out. That's when you'll experience your deepest blessing. So Jesus blesses it, but we have to be willing to give it. The worship team can come back up. I'll tell a story about a guy named John Wesley. Some of you guys know John Wesley. He was... Uh, he started the Methodist movement, the Methodist church. And in that day, I mean, it was like major revival happening. I mean, it was like major, major revival stuff going on. And he was a man who was devoted to God and to his purposes. And there's all kinds of crazy stories about John Wesley and his ability just to open up his hand. But I just heard one the other day, and it's, it's a story of this distraught man was riding on a horse up to catch up with John Wesley. And he's saying, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible's happened. Something terrible's happened. And, and so John Wesley says, what? what? What's going on? He says, your house has burned to the ground. And so John Wesley just takes just a moment just to weigh the information. And then he responds. He says, no, it didn't. <laughs> and the guy's like, what do you mean? He says, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That just means one less responsibility for me. He just understood, this isn't mine. And if God puts something else in it, that's fine. But if there's something not in it right now, that's fine too. Because I don't own anything. It's all God's. And so stewardship, and again, I'm not talking about just financial things. I'm talking about just our life, our calling, our purposes, what God puts in our life. The calling of God. It makes us ask this question, what if? What if God wants to do something different with my calling, my resources, my life, my purpose? Whatever. It allows us to begin to dream God's dreams for our life instead of our own dreams for our life. It, it reminds us that the most full life you could live is an emptied, poured out life. It reminds us that you never look more like God than when you give because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would have eternal life. And so we're getting ready to receive communion to remind ourselves of this. But Acts 20, verse 36, let me just wrap it up. Paul, and when he had said these things, he knelt down, he prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him. And this is where the similarities of me leaving on sabbatical stop, okay? I'm gonna see you guys again, so the holy kiss thing is not gonna work today. I am sorrowful, though. Yeah. And it says, and being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken. They wouldn't see them again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul is just demonstrating in this moment to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like even with my life, it's an open hand to God. What is he saying? I don't own my life. God doesn't owe me anything in this life. And so I can freely give my life and open it up to whatever God wants to do with it. That's why he could do that, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. So as we come to the table, tables in back, tables in front, during this last song, what we're going to do is we're going to take these elements. 
The juice represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us, how he bought us with a price. That on the cross, he shed his blood for us, that he poured out his life for us, and that the bread represents the body that was broken for us. And so when we come together and we have this moment, and I'm gonna ask you to come and grab the elements and take them back to your seat. This is how we're gonna do it this, this time. Have a moment there in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. And just right there at your seat, you can have just an altar moment and an encounter with God, even right there at your seat. And just some, at some point during this song, just receive these elements. I'm gonna bless it here in just, just a moment, but you receive these elements and remind yourself that my life is not my own and that he bought me with a price. So would you stand up with me as we pray? Right now we just say, Holy Spirit, come into this moment. Jesus, be present with us in this moment. Remind us whose we are, that we have been bought with a price, that our life is not our own. And we thank you for the price that you paid for us, that your hands were stretched out and nailed to a tree, that you died on the cross, but you also rose from the dead. And so in this moment right now, as we have a moment with you, would you realign our thinking and reset our thoughts? Do something at the deep places of who we are to realign us with your purposes for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come and receive.